turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to look at the entire chapter this morning. Matthew 3, 1 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask this morning that you would open up our hearts and minds to receive your word. We ask that you would do a work among us, that you would give us a, a passion and zeal for Christ. We ask that you would speak to us now and take your word and plant it deep in our lives so that it might mold us and shape us into the likeness of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? This was a common 
question in my van as we traveled down to Louisville two weeks ago. 30 minutes down the road, Kate would ask, when are we going to be there? And then as the day continued to pass, are we there yet? Are we there yet? So I told her, I'll let you know when we are about to arrive. When you see the bridge, we are crossing over from Indiana to Kentucky. That's when we'll be in Louisville. When you see the bridge, that's when you will know that we are near. Just as Kate waited and waited and waited and finally saw that bridge, which announced to her that we had arrived, so we see in our text this morning that the long-awaited arrival of the king and his kingdom had finally come with the announcement of John the Baptist that he makes in the wilderness. About 30 years have passed. About 30 years have passed in Matthew's gospel account since we last picked up the story two weeks ago. We left off with King Jesus as a small child fulfilling the prophecies in the Old Testament. We saw that the patterns in the Old Testament, which speak of a new exodus and an end to the exile, come to pass in Jesus Christ as he relives the history of Israel. So this is where we pick up this morning. And what we see in our text is the announcement of the arrival of the king and his kingdom. And the arrival of the kingdom should lead us to repent, to bear good fruit, and to worship King Jesus. So first, first, the arrival of the kingdom should lead us to repent. Look with me at verses 1 through, one through 6. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. So Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist, the one who announces the arrival of the king and his kingdom. After almost 30 years had passed, John the Baptist comes on the scene and preaches in the wilderness. And Matthew points out to us that this man, John the Baptist, who is preaching in the wilderness, is the prophet who would announce the coming of the Lord. We see this when we consider who John is, what he wore, and what he proclaimed. Matthew says in verse 3, as John preaches in the wilderness, that He is the one who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. Listen to Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 3. 
Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. In the context in Isaiah, God promises Israel's return from Babylon. Though they go into captivity for their sin and will be exiled from the land, there will be a new exodus. God will again deliver his people out of exile. And then John the Baptist now comes on the scene and proclaims in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. This is amazing. What John or what Matthew is showing us is that the people were still in exile even though they lived in the land, they were ultimately exiled from God. And now, with the announcement coming to pass, Matthew is saying that the time for God to rescue and deliver his people has drawn near. So John the Baptist is this prophet. He's this voice who prepares the way of the Lord after 400 years After 400 years of silence. Now, notice what John wore. Verse 4. Now, John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Does this sound familiar? Sounds like Elijah. 2 Kings 1.8 He wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. That's Elijah. And then we read in Malachi 4.5, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers. And Jesus teaches us later in this account in Matthew's gospel, that John was the Elijah who was to come. So what we see here is John as a new Elijah, proclaiming and preparing God's people for the coming of the Lord. And we also, we also see here that he announces the arrival of the kingdom in the message that he proclaims. So what do we see in the message that he proclaims? Notice verse 2. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John preaches a message of repentance. He calls people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. It has come near. The kingdom of heaven, which we will see over and over and over again in Matthew's gospel account, refers to God's saving, 
reign or his saving rule. God's saving reign or his saving rule. Though it may at times refer to a physical realm over which a king would then exercise his dominion, this phrase primarily refers to God's rule or his reign. And specifically, the saving reign of God. The saving reign of God. This was the expectation in the Old Testament, in which the king's rule and reign would extend over all things. Now, the Jews expected in their day that with the arrival of the king, God's kingdom would be established according to their preconceived ideas and their timetable. So when, that when, the prophet, when the promised king came and the kingdom arrived, that Rome would be overthrown, God's enemies would be defeated completely, and peace would then come to the world. But what we see in the New Testament is that the kingdom, God's saving rule and reign, arrives in Jesus already at his first coming but not yet in its fullness. As one writer puts it, the kingdom is here in Jesus' words and deeds, and yet the best is yet to come. The kingdom has come near. The kingdom of heaven has come near in the arrival of Jesus as he begins to deliver his people out of slavery to sin, and from Satan and from death, already. But when he comes again, we will be completely and finally delivered from all these things. The not yet aspect of the kingdom. We see both of these in Scripture. And therefore, how should we then respond to the arrival of the king and his kingdom. Now the saving reign of God has come in Jesus. How should we then respond? The arrival of the king and his kingdom should lead us to repent. That's what John the Baptist calls us to when he proclaims, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent. So what does it mean to repent? On our drive to Louisville, I got lost many times in Champaign, Illinois, as I was looking for a hotel, because we were driving through blizzard-like conditions. It was dark. I couldn't see well, because the snow was coming down hard. And what happened is that I would drive, I would go in one direction, and then what I would have to do is turn around and go the other direction. I went in one direction and then turned around and had to head in the other direction. And I had to do that personally as well, as I got frustrated on the drive. That's what it means to repent. It means to turn away from and turn to. It means to change one's mind 
or to change one's direction. Israel was often called to repent in the Old Testament. They would turn, they were to turn away from their idolatry and return to the Lord. And this is what people well, this is what happened when people came out to John in the wilderness as they confessed their sins and were then baptized by him. And this is what repentance looks like in our lives. It means that we acknowledge our sin that we are sorry for our sin, and that we hate and reject it. We hate and reject it because it does not please God. When we are truly repentant, it will involve more than simply acknowledging that we have sin in our life. It will involve more than confessing our sin. As I headed into this snowstorm on the way to Louisville, I acknowledged that I was actually in a storm. I acknowledged that I had a problem. But if I continued along that path, even saying to myself and to Becky, I shouldn't be driving on this road. I need to pull over. I need to stop. I need to stop. Or I'm going to be in the ditch like that guy and that guy and that guy. I need to stop. And then I don't. What does that show? It shows that I've only acknowledged that I have a problem. And I've only confessed my problem. But I haven't turned away from it and turned around. I haven't repented. And if I continue along this path, its end will only be destruction. That's the idea here. To repent would be to turn around. To not only confess and acknowledge our sin and be sorry for it, but to hate it and reject it. To turn away from it and turn to Jesus Christ. So I pray this morning that if you have never truly repented of your sin, that today you would turn away from your sin and that you would turn to Jesus Christ who died on the cross to take the punishment that we deserve. The kingdom of God is at hand. God's saving reign has arrived in Jesus Christ, who came to save his people from their sins. He came to deliver us from sin and death. So may you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus by faith and receive the forgiveness of your sins and the hope of eternal life. And may we who are trusting in Jesus Christ, 
may we examine our own hearts and ask the Lord to reveal any areas of sin in our own lives that we need to repent of. And may we also be like John the Baptist, who proclaimed that Christ has, may we, like John the Baptist, proclaim that Christ now has come and is coming again. That salvation has arrived in Jesus Christ, but judgment is coming for those who do not turn to him. And therefore, may we then, like John the Baptist, call people to repent. Second, second, the arrival of the kingdom should lead us to bear fruit. The arrival of the kingdom should lead us to bear good fruit. I see this in verses 7 through 12. Matthew describes in these verses that though they were, there were many who came out to be baptized by John in the Jordan River confessing their sins, there were others who refused the message. Matthew points out that the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to John's baptism. Not exactly sure why, but John says to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John calls these religious leaders, you brood of vipers. I want you to feel the weight of this phrase. You brood of vipers. The Pharisees separated themselves from evil, prodding themselves in the observance of the law as those who sought to help keep people from these, keep people to do these rules and regulations by placing a fence around the law. So they wanted people to do it. They just placed a fence around the law. As those who outwardly looked moral and religious. But not only that, these Pharisees and Sadducees could take pride in the fact that they had Abraham as their father. After all, they could say, we are children of Abraham. We are Abraham's offspring. To which John replies, you brood of vipers. To those who outwardly keep the law. To those who claimed Abraham as their father. He says, you brood of vipers. You are the offspring of the snake. You are the seed of the serpent. You are children of the devil. You must bear fruit in keeping with repentance. 
And you must not suppose that you are right with God on the basis of your ethnicity. This is what he says to these religious leaders. And there's a word of warning here for us, isn't there? We must not suppose that we are right with God on the basis of what we do or have done. And we must not suppose that we are in a right relationship with God on the basis of our background or who our parents are or what they believe. Because as John says, a failure to bear fruit in keeping with repentance will result in judgment. It will result in an unquenchable fire. It will result in complete separation from God for all eternity. Because the axe is laid to the root of the trees. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, that does not bear fruit in keeping with repentance, will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So we are called then. We are called to bear good fruit, but this fruit is in keeping with repentance. Did you catch that? It's in keeping with repentance, which is what the religious leaders had failed to do. They sought to obtain a right standing with God on the basis of their outward actions and on the basis of their ethnicity. And they failed to see their need for repentance. They failed to bear fruit that is consistent with, their, with repentance. So John is then calling us to live a life that corresponds with our conversion. Now, this is not what I mean. This is not what I mean. Okay, I repented. I repented. Now I have to figure out what I have to do, I gotta, I gotta do good works. I gotta, I gotta go to church. I gotta read my Bible. I have to put money in the offering plate. I've gotta, I've gotta obey the law of Christ. Um, let's see. I've gotta, I've gotta tell people about Jesus. No. Because the problem with this mindset is that we become more enamored with what we do or don't do than what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. When you experience the grace of God in your life and see your consistent need for Christ, trusting only in his mercy and grace, do you know what flows out of that? Do you know what flows out of that kind of tree? Good fruit. My children, when they experience my love for them and embrace that love, you know what it compels them to do? It compels them to obey. And they obey because they love me and have a relationship with me. 
bearing fruit is the evidence that shows that we have repented, that we have turned away from our sin and turned to Jesus Christ. Good fruit is the evidence that we are trusting in Christ. So there is a demand that we live a certain way, that we live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this fruit does not make us right with God. We are right with God, not on the basis of what we do or have done, but on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ. Yes, we should read our Bible. Yes, we should go to church. Yes, we should tell lost people to repent. But this will come in your own heart when your love for Christ increases, when you have seen and experienced the grace of God in your own life. Glidden is filled with people who don't know Jesus. Coon Rapids is filled with people who don't know Jesus. Carol is filled with people who don't know Jesus. Jefferson, Scranton, Lake City, Manning, Auburn. These places are filled with people who don't know Jesus. And if you want to make Christ known to them, it's our mission statement. We want to make Christ known to them. Experience and embrace the love of Christ. Know Christ personally. And good fruit will flow out of that. That's what we see pictured here as people went out to John to be baptized by him. They confessed their sins. They turned away from their sins. And they were baptized. They were immersed into the water, which pictures that they had died to sin and had been raised out of the water to walk in newness of life. Their baptism did not make them right with God. Their baptism gave evidence that they had a new life in Christ. And now they desired to live in such a way that brought glory to God. Third and finally, the arrival of the kingdom should lead us to worship Jesus Christ. I see this in verses 13 through 17. In verses 13 through 17, Jesus comes to be baptized by John. But John tries to prevent Jesus from this and says, Jesus should be the one to baptize him. John recognizes that Jesus is mightier. He is greater than he is. And John shows his unworthiness when he says, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answers John and says, 
let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consents and baptizes Jesus. Jesus was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus had no need to repent. He never sinned. He never sinned. He is the one who is loved by the Father. And the one with whom the Father is well pleased. So Jesus, in his baptism, fulfills all righteousness by identifying himself with sinners. He is fulfilling all righteousness. He is bringing to pass all that God has set out for him to do. And one of those things is to identify with sinners. We see that in Isaiah 53. Read all of Isaiah 53 later today, and you'll see this. He was numbered with the transgressors. As he passes through the waters, like Israel passed through the Red Sea, Jesus is identifying himself with his people. He will go through the flood of God's judgment for his people in order to bring them salvation. And this should lead us to worship him. As the wise men did in chapter 2. After Jesus came out of the water, did you notice how Matthew describes what happened? Behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Then verse 17, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All three persons of the Trinity are mentioned here. They're all present at Jesus' baptism. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the voice from heaven said, did you catch that? The voice from heaven said, this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If you're familiar with the other gospel accounts in Mark and Luke, at the baptism of Jesus, the voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son. That's what the voice says to Jesus. So Matthew, by using this word, this, is drawing our attention to those who are present. The Father affirms and approves of the Son. The beloved Son has arrived. And the onlookers then, the onlookers and us, we then should therefore focus our attention on Him. We should embrace him. We should follow him, serve him, love him, and worship him. Because he is the Messiah. He is the promised king who saves us from our sins. He is the one of whom is spoken in Psalm 2. As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. You keep reading the psalm and it says, Kiss the son. Worship the son. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. 
He is the one of whom is spoken in Isaiah, verse four, chapter 42. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights, in whom my soul is well pleased. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. This is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the one we are to worship. He is worthy to be followed. He identified himself with us. He took the wrath that we deserve by dying on the cross for us. God's saving reign has arrived in King Jesus. So may we then be characterized as a people who repent of our sins, as those who bear good fruit, and as those who worship King Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, our heart's desire in prayer is to worship Jesus. Because we know when our hearts are turned toward Jesus and we worship him and yield to him, good fruit will come. Would your spirit work in us to have a greater love for King Jesus so that we might proclaim repentance to those around us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.